Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Uh, again, we will have a devotional for you. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, as you just heard. And uh, I prepared a devotional for you that uh, begins on Ash Wednesday. And it will take you all the way up every day to Easter. There's a little, uh, um, uh, for the beginning of each week, just a little introduction, a little thing to get you thinking. And every day there's questions that you can interact and respond with. And, and uh, uh, it will be uploaded on the events page, so we encourage you to be there. Uh, if you're a morning person, join us on Wednesday morning. 6.30, get started with our Ash Wednesday kickoff. And if you're an evening person, come in the evening. It's going to be both the same. Uh, we're just trying to accommodate those people at the different times. And then every Wednesday subsequently up to Easter, we're gathering for prayer. So we're calling you, the church, to pray. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. So, you know, we're bending over backwards to make it as easy as possible for you. So we're calling you to come and pray because we need prayer. Our church needs prayer. And uh, you and I need prayer. So come when you can. Leave when you must. And uh, we are looking forward to walking together to the cross. And uh, um, that's where we are. That's where we find ourselves. And uh, let me get started. Food, water, shelter, three essentials to life, correct? Yeah, I would add one more that might not be essential to our physical survival in the short term, but is absolutely necessary if we're going to thrive on this planet, and it's our relationships. And it's, uh, it's a skill... Uh, our parents tried to teach us as toddlers, and yet we still struggle throughout adulthood, playing well with others. <laughs> you know, getting along with people is actually a big prerequisite to building relationships that are healthy, that are long-lasting. And uh, uh, there's a problem, though, when you bring it all together, is the fact that we're human. And people lose jobs, Right? over not being team players. Our marriages and families fall apart for many different reasons. Friendships, long-lasting friendships can be broken, all because what we do is we bring our humanness, our selfishness, our sinfulness into every relationship with us. Now, the Bible is filled with divine wisdom all about all the things we're created for, and this actually includes relationships. And the Bible is primarily a story of how God pursues us in a redemptive relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. But it's also a book of wisdom on how we can have redemptive relationships with each other. And so today we're kicking off this new series for the month of March. It's called uh, Relational Rehab, You Drive Me Crazy. And it's a five-week series, and it's about communication uh, that makes all relationships uh, uh, um, affected. So we're not just talking about marriage, and we're not just talking about you know dating relationships. We're talking about all relationships, healthy relationships, and it's based on the five passages of scripture that we have found in the New Testament book of James. That's where we're going for the next five weeks. Have you ever miscommunicated your thoughts when trying to tell, talk to somebody? Right, right. Well, most of us have. And then there's uh, following confusion. Uh, people can become very irritated. Um, and sometimes when we're trying to talk and you're trying to get your point across, it's, it can become dangerous. Uh, sometimes miscommunication can be incredibly frustrating, especially like this. Want any of that? I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather just sing. Stop that, stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. No, listen, I... 
In 20 minutes, you're getting married to a girl whose father owns the biggest tracts of open land in Britain. But I don't want land. Listen, Alice. Herbert. Herbert. We live on a bloody swamp. We need all the land we can get. But, but I don't like her. Don't like her? What's wrong with her? She's beautiful. She's rich. She's got huge tracts of land. I uh, know, but I want the, the girl that I marry to have a certain special something. Cut that out! Cut that out! You're marrying Princess Lucky, so you better get used to the idea. Guards, make sure the prince doesn't leave this room until I come and get him. Not to leave the room, even if you come and get him. No, no, until I come and get him. Until you come and get him, we're not to enter the room. No, no, no. You stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave. And you'll come and get him. Right. We don't need to do anything apart from just stop him entering the room. No, no. Leaving the room. Leaving the room, yes. All right? Right. right. Oh, if, 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 uh, if, if, uh, if, yes, if, if we... Oh, if, if... Oh. Look, it's quite simple. Uh, you just stay here and make sure... He doesn't leave the room. All right? Oh, I remember. Uh, can he leave the room with us? No, no, no. no. You just keep him in here and make sure... Oh, yes, we'll keep him in here, obviously. But if he had to leave and we weren't no, no, with him... Just keep him in here... Until you or anyone else... No, not anyone else, just me... Just you... Get back. Get back. Right? Right, we'll stay here until you get back. And uh, make sure he doesn't leave. What? Make sure he doesn't leave. The prince? Yes, make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, yes, of course. I thought you meant him. You know, it seemed a bit daft me having to guard him when he's a guard. Is that clear? Oh, quite clear. No problems. Right. Where are you going? We're coming with you. No, no, I want you to stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, I see. Right. But father... Shut your noise, you, and get that suit on. I'm no singing. Oh, go and get a glass of water. Man called his neighbor to help him move a couch that had become stuck in the doorway of their house, and they pushed and they pulled until they're absolutely finally exhausted, and the couch wouldn't budge. And so uh, the man finally looked at his neighbor and he said, "Forget it." We'll never get this in. The neighbor looked at him and said, in? Right? You hear where I'm going? There are times when miscommunication leads to absolute bewilderment. And then again, there are times where we just don't understand at all, like you saw in the video. The problem is, is that we use two words interchangeably, but they mean two very different things. We use the words communicate and information. The word communicate means to give out, while the word information means to get through. Now, most of us are very good at giving out, right? We can do that. But not all of us are good at getting through. When Gerber started selling baby food in Africa, they used the same packaging as they did in the United States with a Caucasian baby on the label. Later, when the numbers came in and the product wasn't selling, they learned that African companies routinely put pictures of the ingredients on the label. Because <laughs> many people couldn't read in their target audience. 
Um, Pepsi expanded their market to China. They launched a slogan that says, Pepsi brings you back to life. What they didn't realize is that phrase when it was translated, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. Okay? At least Coke had the executives had a good laugh on that one. But uh, another slogan that doesn't translate well, that was used by the Scandinavian vacuum company Electrolux, um, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. It was a British campaign. Go figure that one out, right? That was before the word sucks came around the way it does now. So sometimes we fail to express ourselves properly, and the results are actually very disastrous. I spent some time researching the history of communication. I stumbled across this little gem that I thought would be beneficial to us all. Have you ever talked with a friend about a problem only to realize that he just doesn't seem to grasp why the issue is so important to you? Have you ever presented an idea to a group and it's met with utter confusion? Or maybe you've been in an argument when the other person suddenly accuses you of not listening to what they're saying at all. What's going on here? The answer is miscommunication. And in some form or another, we've all experienced it. It can lead to confusion, animosity, misunderstanding, or even crashing a multi-million dollar probe into the surface of Mars. The fact is, even when face to face with another person in the very same room and speaking the same language, human communication is incredibly complex. But the good news is that a basic understanding of what happens when we communicate can help us prevent miscommunication. For decades, researchers have asked what happens when we communicate. One interpretation, called the transmission model, views communication as a message that moves directly from one person to another, similar to someone tossing a ball and walking away. But in reality, this simplistic model doesn't account for communication's complexity. Enter the transactional model, which acknowledges the many added challenges of communicating. With this model, it's more accurate to think of communication between people as a game of catch. As we communicate our message, we receive feedback from the other party. Through the transaction, we create meaning together. But from this exchange, further complications arise. It's not like the Star Trek universe, where some characters can Vulcan mind melt, fully sharing thoughts and feelings. As humans, we can't help but send and receive messages through our own subjective lenses. When communicating, one person expresses her interpretation of a message, and the person she's communicating with hears his own interpretation of that message. Our perceptual filters continually shift meanings and interpretations. Remember that game of catch? Imagine it with a lump of clay. As each person touches it, they shape it to fit their own unique perceptions based on any number of variables, like knowledge or past experience, age, race, gender, ethnicity, religion, or family background. Simultaneously, every person interprets the message they receive based on their relationship with the other person and their unique understanding of the semantics and connotations of the exact words being used. They could also be distracted by other stimuli, such as traffic or a growling stomach. Even emotion might cloud their understanding. And by adding more people into a conversation, each with their own subjectivities, the complexity of communication grows exponentially. So as the lump of clay goes back and forth from one person to another, reworked, reshaped, and always changing, it's no wonder our messages sometimes turn into a mush of miscommunication. 
But luckily, there are some simple practices that can help us all navigate our daily interactions for better communication. One, recognize that passive hearing and active listening are not the same. Engage actively with the verbal and nonverbal feedback of others and adjust your message to facilitate greater understanding. Two, listen with your eyes and ears, as well as with your gut. Remember that communication is more than just words. Three, take time to understand as you try to be understood. In the rush to express ourselves, it's easy to forget that communication is a two-way street. Be open to what the other person might say. And finally, four, be aware of your personal perceptual filters. Elements of your experience, including your culture, community, and family, influence how you see the world. Say, this is how I see the problem, but how do you see it? Don't assume that your perception is the objective truth. That'll help you work towards sharing a dialogue with others to reach a common understanding together. Now we live in a time of an information explosion. And the number of consumer and business emails sent per day in 2018 are at more than 281 billion. Each day, 5,000 new books are published. More than 560 billion uh, SMS are sent monthly over the world. If we take the year Christ was born as our starting point, it took 1,500 years for all the knowledge in the world to double at that point. The next doubling took only 250 years. It doubled again in 150 years. By the end of World War II, knowledge doubled every 25 years. Today, knowledge is doubling every 12 months. According to IBM, they actually say that um, the, the doubling of knowledge will soon occur to be every 12 hours. There's no wonder we can't keep up and there's so much for us to say. Dr. Stephen Davey points out, if you happen to read the New York Times paper for one week, you'll be exposed to more information than the average person living in the 1800s came across in their entire lifetime. So in our culture, what is happening is that we are swamped with the tidal wave of information that pours 24-7, 365. The whole world is now live and in real time. Stories change every few minutes, and the screen you're watching may have an anchor reading a story with an image on the right-hand side and a sidebar on the left. There'll be a screen crawl going across the bottom and another one at the top. And so you're following five different information sources at the same time on the same screen. No wonder we're easily distracted. You know... We look without seeing, we listen without hearing, and we speak without understanding. We're wired up, we're tuned in, we're, we're hyper-caffeinated, right? This generation. Everything that is being built is now more powerful, it's stronger, it's faster, and we've come a long way in a very short time. The engine uh, of human progress, it just hums right along, and we are sent, you know, we sent people to the moon, we put satellites in orbit, radio waves to the stars, but the inner space is another matter. We're not even close to conquering what's going on in here. And the human heart seems as unruly as ever. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we all know that the real battles of life are inside and not outside. My greatest challenge is the man in the mirror. 
And when I say that, the, the, the human heart is unruly. I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking about mine. You know, what we are on the inside matters more than what happens on the outside. Right? And that's where the book of James becomes this incredibly relevant letter. In case you didn't know it, there are about three James mentioned in the New Testament. One of them, as we looked at last week, is the son of a fisherman named Zebedee and is Jesus' cousin. The other one is James, son of Alphaeus. We don't really know a whole lot about him. And according to Christian tradition, this James that wrote the epistle of James in our New Testament is the brother of Jesus. Now, again, that's up to debate, but there you go. And according to Josephus, James, the brother of Jesus, was executed in, in 62 AD. So if, this, if he is the author of this letter, this is probably one of the earliest New Testament letters that we have in our scripture. Anyway, that's just a side bit. The letter was written 2,000 years ago. It was written to a beleaguered, a scattered, a oppressed bunch of Jewish believers who are barely hanging on to their faith. The letter is beautiful, and you can take some time this week, even before uh, you download, like right now as I speak on the events page, our, our Lenten devotional is there. You can just download it to your phone and follow along. But take some time in James as well. Take 40 days in the scriptures, please. Just do it for yourself. Do it for your family, and see what happens. Here we see James. He wants us to discover the freedom that actually comes when we respond the right way to the pressures of life. So yeah, there is right ways and wrong ways. James 1, 19 to 20, specifically answers the questions, how do you respond when the heat is on? And when the pressure is building around you and you're about to lose it. Pay close attention to his answer. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. You know what? If we could all <laughs> just do that, we could improve our communication skill by a thousand percent, right? If we could just do that. I found this classic sketch that actually addresses all these three issues of what James is talking about. Watch the screen. Will you keep quiet, Sebastian? Excuse me, please. Sebastian, please. Don't interrupt my act. Sebastian! Oh, Mr. Borges, I, I didn't see the lights there. I forgot about them. What in the world are you doing? Right. Why interrupt my act like this? Well, look, Mr. Borges, I, I mean, after all, if you're in a ballpark, they always sell peanuts and popcorns and things like that. I know that, Sebastian, but not in front of them. I, I beg, I beg your pardon, friend. Ladies and please. gentlemen, and also the children, will you excuse me for a minute, please? Thank you. What do you want to do? Look, Mr. Borges. Right. What are you doing? I love baseball. Well, we all love baseball. When we get to St. Louis, will you tell me the guys' names on the team so I go to see them in that St. Louis ballpark? I'll be able to know those fellas. Well, now, it's all right, folks. All right. Excuse me, I'll, all right. I want to find out the fellow's name. As long as it's okay I'm with the audience. I'm crazy about baseball. Oh. As as, uh, will you stand still? Pick up your hat. Go pick up your hat. Okay. Now, look. Then you'll go and peddle your popcorn and don't interrupt the act anymore. Yes, sir. All right. But you know, strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. 
Funny names? Nicknames, pet not, names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funnier than that? Oh, absolutely, Yay. yes. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Do you know the fellas' names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas' name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Side? Then who's playing first? Absolutely. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Why shouldn't he? Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's wife? Yes. Mm. After all, the man earns it. Who does? Absolutely. Well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no, no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Well, don't change the players. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy. What's the guy's name on first base? What's the guy's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Stay off of first, will you? Well, what do you want me to do? Now, what's the guy's name on third base? Well, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. Well, I can't change their names. Will you please stay on third base, Mr. Broadhurst? Please. Now, what is it you want to know? What is the fella's name on third base? What is the fella's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. Woo! You got an outfield? Oh, sure. St. Louis has got a oh, good outfield? Absolutely. The left fielder's name. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? Stay out of the infield! Don't mention any names out here. I want to know what's the fella's name in left field. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third, Third base. base. Oh, take it easy. Take it easy, man. And the left fielder's name? Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. He's center. Will you pick up your hat, please? Pick up your hat and Whoa. stop this. Oh, look, Mr. please. Mr. Broadhurst. Yes. Wait a minute. You got a pitcher on a team? Wouldn't this be a fine team without a pitcher? I don't know. Tell me the pitcher's name. Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me the date? I'm telling you, man. Then go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow you're going to tell me who's pitching? Now, listen. Who is not pitching? Who is on? I'll break your arm, you say. Who's on first? I come up here and ask. I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. base. You got a catcher? Yes. The catcher's name. Today. Today. And tomorrow's pitching. Now you've got it. That's all. St. Louis has got a couple of days on the team. Well, I can't help that. All right. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Got a catcher? Yes. I'm a good catcher, too, you know. I know that. I would like to play for the St. Louis team. Well, I might arrange that. I, I would like to catch. Now, I'm being a good catcher. Tomorrow's pitching on the team and I'm catching. Yes. Tomorrow throws the ball and the guy up bunts the ball. Yes. Now, when he bunts the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out at first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw it to first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. Who has it? Naturally. 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 Okay. Now you've got it. I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. I know you he, don't. You throw the ball to first base. Then who gets it? Naturally. 
Okay. All right. I throw the ball to naturally. You don't. You throw it to who? Naturally. Well, that's it. Say it that way. That's what I said. You did not. I said I throw the ball to naturally. You don't. You throw it to who? Naturally. Yes. So I throw the ball to first base and naturally gets no, it. No, you throw the ball to first base. Then who gets naturally. it? Naturally. That's what I'm saying. You're not saying that. Excuse me, folks. All right, I'm sorry, friend. I throw the ball to naturally. You throw it to who? Naturally. Naturally, we'll say it that way. That's what I'm saying. Don't get excited now. Don't get I excited. I throw the ball to first base. Then who gets it? He better get it. All right, now don't get excited. Take it easy. Hmm. Now I throw the ball to first base. Whoever it is drops the ball so the guy runs to second. Mm -hmm. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it? I don't know. I don't know. Throws it back to tomorrow. A triple play. Yeah, it could be. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caused. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't care. What was that? I said, I don't care. Oh, that's a shortstop. Here <laughs> Isn't that classic? <laughs> But you, you hear him started off by the names of the players are different. And, uh, you know, now I jump to James, and James's little verse is packed with wisdom. And, you know, although it appears simple, putting into practice is actually a daily challenge. And I think it contains three big keys to getting along with others. The first being quick to listen, or as I wanted to share with you today, is listen more. Just listen more. My wife says I never listen to her, at least that's what she, I thought she said. I'm oh, sorry. Well, if you want your spouse to listen and pay attention to every word you say, speak in your sleep. See what happens. See, most of our problems with relationships in general are usually not the result of understanding when people are coming, uh, is usually the result of not understanding where people are coming from when they speak. And so what happens in our culture, especially, is that we're so easily offended, right? Partly because we don't really hear the heart behind the words people are saying, or we don't want to hear because all we care about is that we're right. Now, it's interesting because wisdom begins when we listen more and talk less. In context, this sort of listening starts by paying attention to what God has actually said in, in the scriptures. You know, in the first century, the believers, they didn't have printed copies of the New Testament. For that matter, if James was one of the early books of the New Testament, I, you know, hypothetically, they couldn't read Romans because Romans wasn't written yet. They didn't have the Bible on their smartphone app so they, you know, so they could read it wherever or whenever they wanted. For the most part, hearing the word, when you look at James, he talks about hearing the word, meant that in their meetings with other believers and listening to the word being taught, it meant that hearing, it meant that memorizing and meditating on what you heard was so important. What's being communicated to you? Are you listening more? And so I sometimes think our modern technology has made it so easy to hear the word that we actually hardly hear it at all. When I look at my iPhone and I see I have tons of apps on there and I, I have uh, news apps and email apps and message apps and music apps and video apps and we have enough online stimulation to keep us occupied around the clock. In the old days, like 10 years ago, right? When you got on an airplane, you actually might talk to the person sitting next to you. 
That rarely happens nowadays. As a matter of fact, if you're ever going to fly, what are you going to do? You're going to go to your gate. You're going to be by the plane. You're going to see people with their heads down, looking at their smart porns. Uh, smart porns, yes, smart porns. Smartphones, or apparently talking to themselves, even though they're actually on the phone. And I wonder who's better off. First century believers who had almost no copies of the word, or 21st century believers who have the Bible at our fingertips. Now, no one would trade our technology for life 2,000 years ago, but I'll say this. Technology is absolutely useless and even dangerous if we're so busy, if we're so distracted, that we're not quick to hear what God and others are saying to us. And this principle applies to every area in life. Some people talk so much that they never hear what anyone else says. You ever been in those conversations? I was on a phone conversation with somebody, and, and it's like, just shut up and let me, like, I can't even, yeah, it, uh, that's all it is. And yet, we're supposed to be quick to listen, right? Quick to listen, or to listen more. That word translated quick was, was used in a slightly different form in John chapter 20, verse 4, which described Peter outrunning John to the empty tomb at Easter time. But it's a helpful picture. We ought to be outrunning ourselves to find out what others have to say to us. And that applies at home. That applies in your relationships, your marriage relationships, your dating relationships. It applies at work. Are you quick to listen? You know, and it doesn't happen by accident. We need to be intentional. In seminary, we took a course where the, the textbook, and I still have it, is called The Ministry of Listening. And I still refer to this book today. We're, we're taught as young theologians that we needed to listen more. We were taught active listening. Now, if you don't know what that is, active listening uh, it, it actually means uh, focusing fully on the speaker, but actively showing verbal and nonverbal signs of listening. You know what I'm saying? Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. active and verbal and nonverbal. You know, keeping things like eye contact, listening to your body language and their body language, resisting the urge to respond immediately, asking questions clarifying questions. Oh, I heard you say what I heard you say. And the list goes on. But basically, you're trying to hear the heart of an individual that is communicating with you and not just giving you information. Listening is not something that just happens. That's hearing. Listening is an active process in which a conscious decision is made to listen and to understand the message of the speaker. And so active listening is, is about patience, it's about pauses, it's about periods of silence that should be accepted. Silence is okay in conversation. It gives people the opportunity to explore their thoughts and their feelings. We need to be quick to listen. So that within, with that in mind, listen more. Imagine the power of this in your marriage. Imagine the power of that in your workplace. How do you listen at work? And with the, the, the power of this uh, image, in our, even in our political and our cultural discussions that we find ourselves, are we listening to what's going on? And finally, we're quick to do many things that don't matter. Are we quick to listen to the word of God? 
We're going into 40 days of prayer. You're going into a Lenten devotional. Are you going to listen to the voice of God as you read the scriptures? Proverbs 8 says wisdom is personified, or Proverbs 8, in Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified as a woman, a woman speaking to the reader. And it says that wisdom calls out in verse 1. She speaks of trustworthy things in verse 6. That, that wisdom is better than money in verses 10 and 11. That wisdom blesses those uh, who walk. That God blesses those who walk in wisdom in verse 32. But nobody gains wisdom by chance. Wisdom says, if you seek me, you will find me. Are we too busy? Are we too worried? Are we too preoccupied? Are we too distracted? A very modern problem. To seek the wisdom that God offers in his word. History repeats itself because no, no one listens the first time. Right? So James encourages us to listen more. But he also tells us to talk less. Be slow to speak, he says. See, there's a time then to speak and there's a time to be silent. Most of us are better at the former, not so good at the latter. Proverbs 29, 20 is a helpful, has a helpful word about this. It says, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than there is for them. <laughs> I love that. Don't you hate it when somebody answers their own questions? Like I do. You know? You know, one advantage of talking to yourself is you know at least somebody is listening, you know, right? And, you know, do you know why women like silent men? Because <laughs> they think they're listening. Just saying. If you want healthy relationships, you have to have healthy communication. You need to slow down. You need to think before speaking. And you need to say things that, listen, build people up. Let me camp on this. We live in a pessimistic, complaining culture. You can ask somebody how they're doing, go through the checkout sign, how's somebody doing, and what do they do? What's the first thing that they do? They complain. It's too cold. You live in Winnipeg. It's too hot. You live in Winnipeg. Like, come on. It's raining. It's snowing. It's icy. It's this. It's that. Come on. This is standard in our culture. We complain. That's our first. Did you complain when somebody greeted you this morning? Right? You can ask how somebody, how you doing? We complain. Seriously, the, is that the best that we can do, especially as believers? Somebody once said this, if you can't be positive, then at least be quiet. Right? Joel Olstein, go figure. <laughs> but I have to say, that's truth. You know, Colossians 4, 6, everything you say should be kind and well thought out. So that you know how to answer everyone. Ecclesiastes says it this way. Don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God in heaven. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. Let your words be few before God. It's hard to argue that. I need a volunteer. Does anybody want to volunteer? I see that hand right there. Come on up. As that person's coming up, Ogden Nash is an American poet. He put a little rhyme. He says this. He says, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Hi, hi. I got come stand right over here. Um, how many times have you said things in anger <laughs> only to regret it 
a thousand times later. Too, too many to count, okay. It's kind of like putting toothpaste back into a tube. And so what I'm going to ask you to do <laughs> for me, would you please, okay. is squeeze that out on there. Go ahead, squeeze. It's just give it all. Give it all. Awesome. Look at that. Hey, I better get this out of the way, huh? Look at that. Okay, so this is, my, this is what I want you to do now. I want you to put the toothpaste back in. I can't. I can't. Well, are you sure? Have you tried? I could try, but it would be... Well, I'd like to see you try. All right, <laughs> <laughs> You can't. You can't. No. Mm. It's like mouth diarrhea, she said, yeah. Well, uh, thank you, thank you very much. You can have a seat. Sometimes our mouth diarrhea, great illustration, is exactly like that. It comes out. The only way you're going to put it back in is by sucking it back up into your mouth and spitting it back into the tube to the best of your ability. You can do that on your own time because I ain't going to do it here. Let me address another cultural issue. Social media encourages quick feedback. So somebody says something that we don't like. And so what do we do without thinking? We have this snappy, quick reply. It's a snarky comment. It's a clever comeback. Or it's a mean-spirited innuendo. And sometimes we're so eager to post our comments because we're so smart that we hit send and we chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. Right? Here's a simple piece of advice. When you're tempted to do that, don't. <laughs> don't. Just slow down. Just wait. Actually, just, you know what? Think about it. You know, I can delete my foolish comment. Sure you can, you can you, but you can't erase it from the internet. All right? Once you post that that thing is floating somewhere in cyberspace forever. So when James says to us, be slow to speak, he is thinking about our tendency to speak when we're angry and when we're frustrated. And I'm sure you've heard it said this, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. And how true it is. When I was a kid, I remember this, and, and it's funny because I'm clearing, clearing stuff out and I'm seeing, if you follow me on social media, I've been posting my high school records in the comments and I was just a bad student. I still have to go through my junior high and my elementary school hopefully to redeem myself and figure out where my ways went wrong. But it was brought to mind that we have this sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me. That's how I felt as I was reading the comments from my teachers. But I have to admit, words hurt far more than sticks and stones. And the wounds they leave take very uh, far longer to heal. And unkind words, they don't break our bones, do they? No, no, they, they break our hearts. So be quick to listen. Listen more people. Talk less. And finally, James encourages us. He says, and I like it this way, calm down. Be slow to anger. Just calm down. The translators handle the, this command in a very uh, variety of different ways. Uh, the ESV says slow to anger. Another one says slow 
to wrath. Another one says, don't get worked up into a rage so easily. Um, slow to lose your temper is another translation. So James is saying, he's not saying don't get angry. That's unrealistic. We're all going to get angry from time to time. The word translated anger actually refers to a deep-seated rage. It doesn't refer to passing a moment of displeasure, which is soon gone and forgotten. No, James is speaking of that deep emotion when it's released. It's like a volcano erupting and it spews red hot lava all over the place. When you think about it, anger is under our control. You know, sometimes we talk about blowing up as it it happens against our will. I can control that. That's a cop-out. Anger is an emotion that we control. And here's the proof. If you're married, do you ever have an argument with your spouse? And you're right in the middle of your argument with your father and the phone rings. Hello? Yes. Okay. No, sorry. All right. Goodbye. You know what I'm talking about. And that's where we go. It's under control. And so, you know, here you are. You're raising your voice. You're getting red face. And then all of a sudden, something changes. And once you hang up the phone again, that's because anger is this motion, emotion that you can control. But you have to notice the progression. If we're quick to hear, we'll be slow to speak. If we're slow to hear, we'll be doubtless be quick to speak. And quick speaking obviously leads to anger in the Abbott Costello sketch that you saw earlier. And the angrier we get, the faster we speak and the less we hear. So what if you could be unoffendable? How great would that be? The problem is we're not. We get offended and sometimes too easily and we rush off the tracks and we respond harshly to people, don't we? We're all prone to it. But when you think about it, being easily offended is exhausting. Brent Hansen in his book, Unoffendable, he writes this. He says, yes, the world is broken but don't be offended by it. Instead, thank God that he has intervened in it and he's going to restore it to everything it was meant to be. His kingdom is breaking through bit by bit. Recognize it and wonder at it. War is not exceptional, peace is. Worry is not exceptional, trust is. Decay is not exceptional, restoration is. Anger is not exceptional, gratitude is. Selfishness is not exceptional, sacrifice is. Defensiveness is not exceptional, love is. And judgmentalism is not exceptional, but grace is. But Jerry, I have righteous anger. I have every right to be angry. And people need to know it. The problem with righteous anger is that in the moment, in the moment, everyone believes their anger is righteous. Anger is the easy thing. Love is the miracle. And if you take the time, you study the character, the godly qualities and character of a godly person in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you'll see that there are about 25 different character qualities. If you begin to start to put them in groups, you'll discover that the single largest group involves a person and their anger. Isn't that interesting? Five of the 25 character qualities unquestionably related to a person and their anger. Solomon writes in Proverbs 16, he says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a whole city. Think about that. You know, of course we really don't believe it. You know, 
what would we rather be called, a patient person or a warrior? I think the world rewards the warriors while the patient people, you know, they change diapers, they take out the garbage. It's not much of a contest. We talk about the warriors. Solomon says it's better for you to control your temper than to take a city. You know, we use military imagery all the time, especially in Christian circles when you think about it. We talk about taking our cities for Christ, winning our nation, you know, taking our nation back to God. And in history, that has actually had some very uh, disastrous results. I can look back to people in ministry who took their city for Christ, but their wife left them. Or they took their city for God, but their children no longer followed Jesus. I think James knew we would have an issue with this third command, and so he added a, a, a reason for that third command in verse 21, for anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. One translation says, even if you're angry, you can't do any of the good things that God wants done. Do you ever notice a person who's ever angry all the time? You know, they get up, they're angry. They shower, they're angry. They eat breakfast, they're angry. They go to work, they're angry. They come home, they're angry, right? They watch TV, they're angry. They go to bed, they're angry. When they're happy, that makes them angry, right? Nothing pleases a person like that. Anger leads to jealousy. Anger leads to harsh words. And it can even lead to murder. And that sort of anger can never produce a life that is pleasing to God. That sort of anger only destroys. It never builds up. That sort of anger brings the smell of death with it. And when you think about it, in order to move away from bitterness, to move away from uh, anger and hurtful words, we need to take Ephesians 4.32 to heart. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so we are to extend grace to others, that grace as God has extended grace to us. We who have been showered with God's grace in Christ are to give other undeserving sinners the same outpouring of grace from God to us to others. Grace to us Grace to others. And I think that's God's plan. What we do uh, for others, you know, we do for others what God has done for us. We'll be forgiven. We know what it's like. Now we need to do the same to others. And we're not left to wonder what it means to forgive those who have hurt us. And I think the whole understanding of this is that you can't understand God's love unless you go to the cross. And you can't understand the cross unless you see it in God's love. Man's murder becomes God's sacrifice. A, a heinous crime paid an impossible debt. Through the death of an innocent man, we guilty go free. If we had been there, the stench of death would have overwhelmed us, but the cross smelled good to the Father. Think about that for a second. The work of salvation was finally done. You know, we sing the occasional words from the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It goes, see from his head, his hands, his feet. 
Sorrow and love flowed mingled down. Did have such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? We sing it. Do we listen? Jesus didn't come to make us nicer people came to make us new people. If you leave this morning and you think, please go ahead and start. If you think, I should try harder, I should, you know, listen more, speak less, and calm down. That's a good sentiment, but you're missing the point this morning. We need Jesus living in us. In one of his books, Bible teacher F.B. Murray, he talked about how Christ living in us makes the difference in the moment of temptation. And Meyer's this great scholar, and he said that when he felt himself getting angry, when he felt himself getting irritable, he would ask the Lord for the quality uh, most needed at that moment. So, your patience, Lord Jesus. Your kindness, Lord Jesus. Your love, Lord Jesus. Your courage, Lord Jesus. Your wisdom, Lord Jesus. Your joy, Lord Jesus. Your compassion, Lord Jesus. So if we believe that Jesus Christ dwells in all the fullness of God, and as standard Orthodox Christians we do, and if we believe Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, and we do, then we may believe that in our lives this week, the fullness of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the kindness of Christ may fill us and drive out that evil, drive out the lust, drive out the grief, greed, the impatience, the unbelief, the critical spirit, and the angry intolerance that holds us back. we are living in Christ and Christ is living in us, then by God's grace we will, when you think about it, we will listen more, we will talk less, and we will calm down. Over the next five weeks, every Sunday when we gather together, we're going to the table. Just be prepared. Come, Lord Jesus, transform us by the power of your word so that your beauty may be seen in us. Do it, O Lord, I pray. Amen. As we move to communion, Jordan McClellan will lead us. He will close our gathering as well today. Jordan. Pastor Jerry, for that challenging and great word this morning. You cannot understand God's love unless you go to the cross. And we are to extend the same grace to others that God has 
extended to us. And so in a moment, as Pastor Jerry has mentioned, we are going to take communion. And communion is something that we do together as a community. Sure, we could eat the bread alone. Sure, we could drink the cup alone. But yet, that's not God's intent for us. And that's not how Jesus explained communion. But he brought us together, his church, to share this moment with one another so that we always remember and reflect upon his goodness towards us. And so this morning, as we set our eyes towards the cross, as we look at God's love for us, his body broken and bloody for you and for me, so that we may be set free from sin and live our lives unto him. Let's remember this morning. Let's reflect. Let's go to the source who could help us love, who could help us be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to, quick to listen today. And so in a moment, we're going to take communion. There are stations, uh, two in the front and two in the back. If you're in the front half of the seats, I just invite you to the front tables. And if you're in the back half of the room, I invite you just to the tables back there. Please just grab a cup, grab a piece of bread, and just make your way back to your seat. And we're going to partake together this morning. But as the worship band continues to lead us, as we continue to worship today, let's, let, let's be quick to listen to what God is saying to us as a community. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, and please just make your way to the tables, get the cup, get the piece of bread, and just make your way back to the seat, and we'll partake together this morning. So this morning, we're going to take communion together as a community. I'm going to ask just for a slide to be put up on the screen. I want you to read the verses today. So when we get to the part in yellow, would you please read um, that part today together as a community? This is from the book of Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. In remembrance of his body that was broken for us. Let's eat the bread today. same way. After supper, he took the cup saying, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink of the cup today in remembrance of him. In response to communion today, in response to whatever it is that God may be speaking to us, I'm just going to ask us to stand. And let's respond this morning as the worship team leads us in, in, in worship. Let's respond today. Let this be our prayer as we respond to God. Thank you, Lord. So this morning, we'll end with a blessing. In ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands. And those who want to receive a blessing did likewise. And so if you'd like to receive a blessing this morning, please just extend your hands. And here it is. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and power your gentleness and love, your mercy and justice. And so enable us by your spirit to honor you in our thoughts and words and actions and to serve you in every aspect of our lives, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is our strength. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Make sure to join us on Ash Wednesday for one of our two gatherings. God bless you today.